Thank you. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to read together there. Let me say a word about Bible school um, before we read. Vacation Bible school is very dependent upon workers, as you can imagine, and that's been the hardest thing. It's just been such an unusual year, but finding volunteers to teach and help with Bible school has been more challenging than normal. Um, first grade, we have um, one set of one class filled with teachers of, and you know, we need at least five more classes. And so we can, we're just like really strict about this. We don't let kids just come in without teachers. We're just, like, we don't let them just have the whole room to themselves. We're, we're funny that way. And we found that works best. So I know God's going to provide and it's going to provide through people like you, but we need, I mean, we're just at a point where we really need volunteers. So if you're able to do that, go to the Kids Life Center and let's get that going because Bible school is such a great opportunity. Two more things. Membership classes today. If you want to join our church, that's how you do it. Or if you just want to find out more about our church, you can do it uh, through the membership class. I teach that today from 4 o'clock till 6. Even if you've not registered, you can still show up. It's in the chapel, which is just kind of behind me. If you're not sure where it is, we'll have some signs that will help you today. And then the baptism night is next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. And if you have trusted Christ as Savior and would like to follow in baptism, and I bet there are many people who need to follow in believer's baptism, uh, let us know by put something on a connection card. Let us know that you're coming, and I just it'll be a it'll be a powerful night, kind of an intimate group there. Invite some family and friends to join you, and I'll bet there are several of you who need to be baptized and to follow Jesus in that public profession of faith. Well, let's read in Second Timothy chapter four. We're going to read there uh, together, beginning with verse twelve. Second Timothy chapter four, and I'm going to read starting with verse twelve all the way through the end of this book of the Bible. The Bible says, I've sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself, because he strongly opposed our words. At my first offense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be countered against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that I might fully preach the word and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus has remained at Corinth. Electrophemus, sick at Miletus, make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Well, I love that phrase. The Bible said, Paul said, in a time when he felt very alone, the Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me. I'm telling you, that's a powerful word. The Lord stood with me. Because some of you know what it's like to feel very alone, and you know what it's like to go through challenges, and you're wondering if anybody's there, but the Lord stands with us. And I want to talk about four ways the Lord stands with us. Would you write these down? If you're at home, you can follow along, write these notes down, or here in person, let's, let's note these four things about how the Lord stands with us. Number one, the Lord stands by us in difficulty. The Lord stands by us in difficulty. And beginning in verse 12, talks, Paul begins to talk about some of the difficulties he faced. He sent Tychicus, verse 12 says, to Ephesus. Tychicus had traveled with him, and, and now he was gone from Paul uh, helping the church in Ephesus. He said to Timothy in verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas. I think he was saying that because winter's coming. Notice he says a little later in verse 21, make every effort to come before winter because he's going to need that cloak in that 
uh, dark, dank prison cell that he's, they finds himself in for preaching the gospel, and so he asks him to bring the cloak. He asks him to bring the scrolls, especially the parchments. It's likely that Paul is talking here about wanting to have a copy of God's Word, to be able to read God's Word there. He's not able to bring his library, of course, with him to the prison cell, and he wants some help. It is, isn't it amazing that Paul in prison wants so desperately to read God's Word, and yet there are many people who name the name of Christ who have copies of God's Word that they seldom crack, that they seldom look at. It's one of the reasons we say as a church, at least five out of seven days, we want you to read the Bible for yourself. We want you to learn what the Bible has to say. Read through that New Testament for yourself and read it day by day and learn what God has to say. There's a power to it. Paul understood that. And then he talks about some of the relationship problems. He says in verse 14, he say, I watch out for this particular guy, Alexander the coppersmith, he said. He did great harm to me. So at some point along the way, in some way, he did damage to Paul. He, he tells Timothy, watch out for him yourself because he strongly opposed our words. Notice at the end of verse 14, he says, the Lord will repay him according to his works. He's not saying, I'm going to bring vengeance on him. That's the way of our culture now. We want to pay people back. But he's saying, no, the Lord will handle this. I'm going to leave that to the Lord. And then he says, verse 16, in verse 16, kind of a sad verse. He says, at my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. Now, understand, Paul, of course, was facing great danger by being a Christian in the Roman Empire. And so at his defense, no one stands with him. Everyone deserts him. And then he says these kind of powerful words, may it not be counted against them. And I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm not going to let the root of bitterness. Bitterness is like a, uh, like a weed. If you don't get the root out, it just grows and grows and grows. And he's saying, I'm not going to hold bitterness. I'm not, I'm not going to allow that to grow in my life. But he knew what it was like to feel lonely and isolated and to face difficulty. He faced three things. He faced physical problems. He's in a prison cell and winter's coming. He faced spiritual battles. He had the battle that took place really as a spiritual battle in many ways with Alexander the coppersmith. And, and he, he recognized that it's a spiritual battle that he's facing with the Roman Empire. And it's relationship issues. We talked about these problems with relationships and how he was ultimately alone for a time. And some of you know that world very well. You know those difficulties. Physical problems. This is a generation that's more aware of and concerned about physical problems than ever. And yet they come in this fallen world spiritual battles whether you have any physical problems or not every one of us is in a spiritual battle and the enemy is fighting against us whether you are aware of that or not and there's a battle taking place right now all around you the enemy wants to keep you complacent or unaware or distracted or focused on the wrong things but there's a spiritual battle taking place and there are relationship relationship issues all the time some of you know what it's like to feel isolated and alone. No generation, no generation in our country's history has had this kind of isolation and separation. My wife and I were at a little diner in a small town, and these two old guys came in. And really, old's not, not, not just old, I mean the old, old guys. The, like the uh, old man bent over as they're walking. Uh, the old man's skinny. Sometimes if you live long enough, you can get skinny. If you're looking for a diet, just live long enough. And sometimes you get old, you get that old man skinny. And they walked in, international harvester hats on, you know, that's the whole. 
And they slowly creaked their way to their seat and they sat down there and then they did something that really I did not expect. They pulled out their cell phones. I mean, they were old and physically, but they were young in heart, weren't they? Pulled out their cell phones and, you know, whatever they were doing on their cell phones. And I thought, good night. Even the old men don't even, they don't even talk anymore. They don't have any conversation. They sat there the whole time just on their phones, whatever they were doing. I don't know, looking up a corn harvests or something. I'm not sure what they were doing, but whatever it was, they, no conversation. That's this generation. We don't talk. We don't know. We're, we're separated, isolated. I mean, if you have physical issues and problems, the spiritual battles are raging all around us, but the Lord stands by us in difficulty. And if you're in a difficult place right now, the Lord has not forgotten, and he has not abandoned, and he's not unaware. Notice second principle here. The Lord stands by us in opportunity. In opportunity. Verse 17 is really a key verse. The Bible says, but the Lord stood with me. He's saying, I have God's presence. The Lord stood with me. I wasn't alone. I felt alone. I felt abandoned. But the Lord did not abandon me. And the Lord was not leaving me. The Lord stood with me. That's a great phrase. And not only did I have God's presence, but I had God's provision. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. He gave me his blessing. He gave me his power. He gave me his presence. He blessed me. I had his presence and I had his provision. I want you to recognize this, that God in heaven, when you trust him as Savior, the Bible says God lives in you. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit lives in you. And you're not alone. And he strengthens you. He gives you his blessing. But why does God give us his presence and provision? Is it just so we have it? Did God bless Paul just so Paul had the blessing? Verse 17 adds two very important words here. The Bible says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that there's a reason, there's a purpose that God has. He stands with us for a purpose. He strengthens us for a purpose. The so that. He said, God's purpose for me was so that I might fully preach the word so that people would hear the truth of God's word and all the Gentiles might hear it. People who don't know who God is would hear the truth of the gospel. And he's saying, God gave me this blessing. He rescued me from the lion's mouth. He gave me his presence. He gave me his provision for his purpose. Provision is for a purpose. Blessing is for an opportunity. God does not provide for you just so you have a provision. And God does not bless you just so you have a blessing. But God gives you his presence and he provides his provision so that you can fulfill the purpose he has for you. God blesses you. He strengthens you so that, don't take that, those two words are key, so that. There's a reason behind them. It's not as though Paul said, you know what, God gave me a blessing and the reason he gave me a blessing was so I could just enjoy that blessing and pull it out once in a while and note how wonderful my blessing was. No, not at all. He did that for a purpose. And God has blessed you. Some of you are facing difficulties right now. And when you face difficulties, it's important that we see there are opportunities that come with those difficulties. And the opportunities that God gives to us come through the blessings that he gives. He gives us his blessing so that we fulfill his purpose. So why the problems of this age? 
Have you asked yourself that question? Why would we face pandemics and problems and difficulties and isolation and separation and all that's gone with it? Let me tell you the answer. I don't know. Except to say that we live in a fallen, broken world. And in a fallen, broken world, broken things happen. Our world is broken. Our, our lives are broken. Our, our systems are broken. That's the way this world is. But I do know this. With every problem are also blessings. We don't just have problems and difficulties, though we have them. But we also have opportunities. The Lord stands by us in difficult days. The Lord strengthens us in difficult days. And he does that so that we might fulfill his purposes. And perhaps God is using, while I don't know the details of why we face all of these problems, perhaps God would use them to help us see his presence and to recognize his provision so that we see God's purpose to use us to accomplish what he wants to do in this world. And God, very often, God allows difficulties and opportunities to run on parallel tracks. For Paul, he had great difficulties. He was in prison, knowing that winter is coming without a cloak, with all the problems that he faced, difficulties. But on that parallel track were opportunities that came. God stood by him, and God strengthened him. And God did that so that he would accomplish his purposes. And I'm saying to you, if you're facing difficulties, just notice beside you on a parallel track are coming some opportunities. Through those difficult moments, you will be able to see more than ever God's presence, and you'll see more than ever God's provision, and through that, you'll see that God has for you a so that. He has provided for you in these difficult days. He strengthens you in these difficult days so that you will accomplish his purposes in this world. It very well could be that God is going to use these circumstances of this generation and this age so that we depend less upon cultural Christianity or just going through the motions of religion, but we begin to see God as he really is and to turn to God as never before and to recognize God the Holy Spirit living in us and to find God's strength for us so that we accomplish God's purposes with us to make a difference for his glory in this generation. And I'm telling you, God is big enough to use all the difficulties of this age to give us opportunities that we would never have otherwise, and so that we will do everything he wants us to do. Now, there's a third principle I want you to note with me. Would you write this principle down? The Lord stands by us in eternity. Verse 17 uh, tells us, the end of that last sentence of verse 17 is past tense. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. So Paul says this is what God did, past tense. But then in verse 18, he goes to future tense. This is what the Lord will do. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work. And he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And he is saying God has done, he has worked in the past, and he will work in the future. God is working right now. Paul's a big picture guy. He's seeing the big picture. He's thinking long term. He sees beyond his prison walls. And he sees that God is at work. He sees beyond his problems. He's a big picture guy. And he sees what God is doing. He knows that God is working beyond just his lifetime. 
He's a big picture guy. He sees that God is working in eternity. There's something more than this fallen, broken world, and God has, has him in this world for a brief time for something greater. He's saying two things. He's saying God is rescuing me. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He's saying his grace is bigger than my sin. If you thought my sin is too big for God, listen, your sin is bigger than you think. Your sin is bigger than you think. But God's grace is far bigger than you think and greater than your sin. His power is greater than our problems. His power is greater than our problems. He'll rescue us from the evil work. And it's saying to us that God is taking us somewhere. He's taking us somewhere. He's going to bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom, Paul said. I see the big picture he's saying. God is bringing me into eternity, and I'm headed for somewhere bigger and better and greater. I have a pastor friend who uh, serving in Texas and going through some difficult times. I've been praying for him this week. He's just facing some physical challenges. Uh, he watches our services often online. I don't know if he'll be able to in these days, but he's, um, he was in uh, the church I pastored in Texas before I came here all those long years ago. And Jack was a, always a big picture guy. He was, a, he was in the business world. And he made and lost and made and lost and made and lost some fortunes along the way. You know, just the business world. I've always admired the business world guys and all the big things they do and all the big plans they have, all the big dreams they dream. I've always admired that. And he was always a big picture guy when it came to business. And I always appreciated how he's a big picture guy with our church. He came to our church in Texas when we were very, very small and that church grew and he just believed that God was doing great things and could do great things through our little small congregation. And God did great things, things that were so big that we knew it was of God and not of us. And and he was a big picture guy then. And then to his great surprise, he was called to ministry later in life. I mean, after his career was over, he was called to be a pastor. And he became a pastor in a church in a small town. I'm not even sure you'd call it a town. I suspect in that five-mile radius around where his church building is, that's where his wife grew up. He's in the back in his kind of home area there, where he's, uh, right, right exactly where his wife had grown up. Maybe in that five-mile radius, there's maybe couple hundred people maybe and of course you can't grow a church in it when there's not very many people except that God can and he's a big picture guy and he just believed God's big enough to do big things in little places God often does big things in little places God often uses people we would not expect him to use and I've always admired that he's a big picture guy and now he's facing some terrible physical problems he's had a series of physical maladies but he's a big picture guy and a big picture guy says God can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. And a big picture guy says, um, life's not, this life is not all there is. And a big picture guy says, I don't have to live in fear of my problems or my issues or struggles. A big picture guy says, can I tell you, I don't have to live in fear of death. Did you know that? A big picture guy doesn't say, I mean, if you're seeing the big picture, I don't live in fear of death. I'm not going to live my life in fear of what might happen. A big picture guy sees that God is working despite the circumstances. A big picture guy says God is able to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through someone like me. A big picture guy says God is at work even in difficult times and that God has something more for me than just what I can get. or have. You know, a small picture guy says all that I have is what I can grab and get and hold. A small picture guy says I just I need to get things because that's all there is. It's all about me, me, me. That's a small picture guy and the world's filled with people who are looking at the, can't see beyond the prison cells of their own self-inflicted prison. But a big picture guy says, 
God's doing something right now. And everything he's done in the past is because he's still working for the future. And one day I'm going to stand before him in eternity and everything I do right now needs to be done with all of that big picture in the future in my mind. And that's what God wants to accomplish through us because the Lord stands by us, not just now, but in eternity. There's a fourth principle I'd like you to note with me. Would you write this down? The Lord stands by us in unity, in unity. And let's go to the end of this great book of the Bible. We've worked our way through this whole book of the Bible and it's it brings us to some more names. We've seen a lot of names along the way. Verse 19 says, Greet Prissa and Aquila. So they're sometimes called Priscilla and Aquila. It's a wife and a husband. They are a couple who teach and work and serve together. They've, they, you may remember they took Apollos, this man Apollos, under their wings in the book of Acts and instructed him more fully. They've been mentors, encouragers, friends, serious Christians. He says, greet the household of Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus, we've, we saw earlier in this book of the Bible. You may remember he ministered to Paul. He helped him in a time of great need. He sought Paul out when Paul felt very isolated and alone. And he ministered to Paul. He helped Paul. He loved Paul. He encouraged Paul. There's a power to that. Notice how verse 20 talks about a man named Erastus who has remained at Corinth. This may be the same Erastus that we see in uh, another place in the Bible who was described as a political leader, a, tr- a, a city treasurer, and maybe he had even some political clout, very different than many of the Christians of the day. He's, verse 20 says, I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Trophimus traveled with Paul at various times, including his third missionary journey, and now he is sick in this town called Miletus, perhaps because of his travels, because perhaps because of his effort. Listen, it's worth it to do, even if following the Lord means there are some difficulties, it's worth it. And Trophimus, um, who was a Gentile, by the way, not even Jewish, there was some, some uh, problems that happened because people had assumed he had gone to the temple, though he didn't, being a Gentile. And then in verse 21, Paul said, make every effort to come before winter, he says to Timothy, thinking again about that cloak, I suspect. And he reminds, he reminds uh, Timothy and those who will read about this about some of the brothers who are sending and, and sisters who are sending greetings, including, including Eubulus and Pudens and Linus and Claudia and then all the other brothers and sisters that he's met there. And he's talking about the church there, sending greetings back to Timothy and to the other Christians who are gathered there. And then verse 22, he says, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you all. And I just want to note a couple of things here. First of all, I want you to note that God loves diversity. God loves diversity. He could have made us all alike, but I suppose you've noticed by now he didn't. He gives us different backgrounds, different talents. He even gifts us spiritually. He gives us different roles to play. Notice the people that we read here, they're Jews and Gentiles. They're single and they're married. They're men and women There are people with some clout politically, some with almost no clout politically. There are people from every region, all kinds of different places. There are people with different spiritual gifts and talents. They have different roles to play in the kingdom of God. God loves diversity. My wife and I have often noticed the diversity of our grandchildren, their personality. They grew up with so many things that are the same, but they have different personalities. Our children have different personalities. My wife and I are very different. One of the things I love about my wife is that she's different than me. While we're the same in some ways, we're very different in others. 
And God loves diversity. God made the church with diversity. Our church is very diverse. We're diverse in ages. We're diverse in backgrounds, ethnicities, all kinds of different experiences, all kinds of differences. And yet, I said God loves diversity. There's a second thing I want you to note. God loves unity. God loves unity. And notice here, he's sending greetings from various kinds of people to various kinds of people. And he's talking here about the church and the connection they have together. He's reminding us that we are connected. Even though we are different, we are unified. And we're unified in two primary ways. We're unified by parentage and by purpose. We have the same parents. My brothers are different than I am, but we have the same parents, and that makes us brothers and sisters. In Christ, we have the same Heavenly Father. And so while we have all kinds of differences, we are united in our parentage. We, have this, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to remember that once in a while, church, that we have the same, we are brothers and sisters. And the Lord even uses that terminology here in verse 21. All the brothers and sisters is talking to us about our common parentage, how the Lord becomes our heavenly father and he unites us. Our faith unites us and we're united in purpose. We have the same great commandment to love and we have the same great commitment to make, great commission to make disciples. And God has given us the same purpose. Now we have different gifts, different talents, different spiritual temperaments. We have different personalities and the world will divide us in every way it can. And let me tell you, that's the world's way. The enemy loves to divide us in a thousand ways, but only the Lord can unify us. He's the one who takes people from all kinds of backgrounds, Jews and Gentiles, single and married, men and women, different gifts, different talents, different backgrounds, and he puts them together and makes them one. And he says, the church has a power and a purpose. And God, our Heavenly Father, gives us a purpose together. Because while God loves diversity, He's made us with all kinds of differences, God in heaven loves unity. And He puts us together, and He makes us one in Christ. Notice this about verse 22. The Bible says here, the Lord be with you with your spirit. And this is a, this is a um, single tense. I mean, a, a uh, he's speaking here in a personal way about the individual. He's saying, the Lord be with your spirit. He's not talking about plural, you all. He's saying to Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit. It's an individual word. And then the next sentence, grace be with you all. Well, that's a plural tense. That's a plural tense. Grace be with you all. God cares about the individual and God cares about the whole. God cares about the one, and God cares about the all. God cares about you, and God cares about us. Now, we've lived in a generation that has only emphasized the us, even when it comes to matters of faith. What's in it for me? What do I get? What do I like? What do I want? And I'm, I'm glad God cares about you as a person. But can I tell you, God cares about us. And he made the church, and he did it for a reason. And there is a power to the church. And there are times when we have to say, it is not about me. It's not about what I want or like or think. It's a, God has given me my role to play, but my role is not to be played just by itself. I'm a part of a body. I'm not, just a, I'm not just a finger. I'm a part of a finger that's a part of a body. I have a role to play in the body of Christ, and God has called us to work together. And while God made us very diverse, 
God made us to be unified. And while God has made us individuals, God makes us us. He puts us together, plural, and God works his work that way because the Lord stands by us, not just individually, the Lord stands by us in unity. And there is a power to God standing by us together and God strengthening us together and God using us to accomplish his purposes together. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And I want to ask you to consider a couple of things as we pray. Some of you are here who need to be saved. You need to give your life to Christ. And I'm praying today you will repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus who died for you and rose from the grave for you and receive him as Savior. Today you could be saved. And many of you here are believers. God's reminding you today perhaps that in the middle of your difficulty, and I don't doubt there are some of you facing some great difficulties, that in the middle of that difficulty, God in heaven is sending on a parallel track opportunity. And he will use these problems and these difficulties to remind you of his presence and through that to remind you of his provision for you. And he'll do that so that you'll make a difference. Would you say, God, I want to say yes to your opportunities. And in these difficulties, I want to say yes to your opportunities. And I suspect there are some of you who need to be reminded to see the big picture because you've been living a small picture life. And you can't see beyond the walls of your own life. And God's wanting you to see the big picture. Would you, would you just say, God, help me to see beyond myself. And God, I want to see a little of eternity, that what I do in this world matters because it matters for eternity. And what you want me to think about is more than just my moment and myself, but to see the big picture. Make me a big picture, Christian. And, and God, while you're at it, would you help me not to make this just about me, the individual, but help me to see the us together. Because you made us with diversity, but you made us for unity. And so, God, would you help me to take my part in the church and be what you want me to be together so that your name is glorified, so that your name is glorified and your will is done. Father, thank you for the power of your word. And I thank you for the work you did in the life of Paul so that we could see the work you can do in our lives. And I thank you for the lessons you taught Paul so that we can learn those lessons for our lives. And Father, would you use us in the middle of the difficulties that we face so that we could see as well the opportunities? Would you help us to see the big picture of eternity, that you're doing something big and great all around us? Would you help us to see the, the promise of unity and how we can go beyond just ourselves and our diversity to also see how together we can become everything you want us to become to the honor and glory of your name, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.